All right, folks, so here we are. Thanks, uh, thanks for, for being here this morning. Hopefully, we'll get a few stragglers coming in as we, as we go. Um, <clears throat> but let's open up in prayer this morning, shall we? So, Father, we bless you and we thank you for our time together today. Thank you that we can just enjoy your presence, that we can have a few laughs together and discuss some relevant matters. And Father God, I want to just pray that as we speak today that your wisdom would be imparted to our hearts, that you would help us to see things from a different perspective, Help us to capture your heart and your intentions for our lives and for your plans and purposes within our lives, Lord God, that we may walk in them with joy and enjoy the blessings of God all the days of our lives. So we thank you for that today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. Oh, let's just put that off. I'll do it. It's okay. I'm close. (coughs) So, here we are. It's not working. Hold on. Here we go. Here we go. Undistracted workshop, devotion workshop. We are going to be doing part two this morning. So, last night, I don't know if you remember, just really some of the highlights. Last night, the idea was just a call. It's a call to say, hey, guys, the way that general society these days is doing things and the way that relationships are going, the dating scene... Even early marriage scene, it's a mess and it's broken and people are getting hurt along the way and they're damaging themselves. They're going from relationship to relationship to relationship. And it, 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 it leaves a, tra- a wake or a trail often of destruction, of confusion, of insecurity, and it loads us up with baggage. Now, I want you to understand something. I, I think it's important that I'm open and honest with you in sharing the things that I share with you today that what I want to impart to you today and what I want to share with you today, I didn't know when I was your age. I didn't walk this out. Let me put it to you that way. When I was in primary school, when I was in high school, I was a devoted person. I was astute. I was focused on one thing. Girls. I liked girls. Thankfully, I still like my girl. And what that meant is, although I praise God, I will, I, will, I will say this, I didn't go sleeping around. I wasn't promiscuous. Uh, God's grace somehow kept a, a level and a measure of purity in and through all of that. But my focus certainly wasn't God first and foremost. It definitely wasn't my schoolwork. It was girls. And I had a few relationships in sort of in high school and just after high school, a year here and a year and a half there and there. And so what that meant is, by the time my wife and I decided we wanted to start courting, I had a whole bag of, I had luggage. I had a bag, and that had her name on it, and that's all the stuff. And then I had another bag that had her name on it, and that was a two and a half year relationship, and, and that had all her stuff in. And I had, and so I came into marriage with baggage, right? And Helen came in without any, which was, which was really helpful, because then she could help carry mine. <laughs> and the truth is, The truth is that that is actually what happens. We bring our baggage, our past, our expectations. Okay, this didn't work out with that person, and so I come in with fear that it won't work out with that person. That's what happened in that relationship, and so I'm I'm, I'm coming in already fearful that it's going to happen again. How many people don't want to get married? Why? Because of the experience of the parents that got divorced or the hurt and the pain. Relationships 
that we enter into and come out of and enter into and come out of leave scars, and they are permanent scars. They create patterns and ways of thinking that are not helpful and not conducive to healthy relationships and healthy marriages in the long term. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Remember yesterday we said that the world has a completely distorted and perverted idea of what love is. The world asks the question, what is love? And you know how it answers it? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> that, is, that is the world's definition. Just don't hurt me, and that'll be love. Siobhan, Siobhan keeps telling me, you're too old, Michael. You can't do that anymore. They did. They did. What is love? Thank you, Luke. I, one of our youngest people here. Filled that one out, Siobhan. Fantastic. Okay, people kind of believe that love is this overwhelming force that you have no control over. It sneaks up on you surreptitiously when you least expect it. And you're like this helpless victim to love. Love is like a puddle on the road that you just didn't see. You fall into it. We fell in love. Was it messy? (laughs) It's just this random thing that kind of happened that I had no control over. And I want to say to you that love without self-control is not love at all. It's just hormones. That's all it is. Because there's no purpose to it. Love without purpose is a very dangerous thing. Today, I love Sandy. Next week, I love Lucy. Maybe a couple of months, I love Agatha. And these days, I might even try Bruce. I mean, it's just wherever, wherever the affection goes. Sorry, that took a turn. Whatever I'm feeling in the moment, whatever is my reality or my truth. And it's like this, this amorphous thing that happens to us that completely bypasses all sense of reason and logic, and yet we give ourselves over to it wholeheartedly and so completely. I want to say to you today, and I need you to realize this first and foremost, without trying to be clinical, true love is a choice. And it is the most costly choice you will ever make in your entire life. Um, we're going to get into some songs just now because it's really funny to listen to some of the words in the songs that we actually sing. But one of them is the old song, When a man loves a woman. And it talks about he'll give his very last dime and he'll sleep outside in the rain if that's what she thinks is best. He will just do anything and everything for her. And it kind of goes beyond all kind of reason. But the point is true love is costly. It's going to cost you your comfort because it's not about you. It's going to cost you your preferences, because it's not about you. It's going to cost you your time. It's definitely going to cost you your money. Um, (laughs) To truly love somebody is the greatest challenge of your life. And I say this, and people always get upset with me. How can you say that about your wife? My wife is the greatest instrument of death in my life. And you say, what? How can you say that about your wife? Why? Because if for me to consider her means that I need to die to my desires, my preferences. What do you want for supper? What movie do you want to watch? Where do you want to go? How can I help you? What do you need me to do? And every time I do that in love, it's not because I feel like it. 
It's not because I have this warm fuzzy. We've been married for 14 years, people. Warm fuzzies leave not long after the honeymoon. Love is that. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have warm fuzzies for my wife. I mean, look at her this morning. Look at her smile. How can you not? Stop it. She's my wife. (laughs) That's enough. But the point is that genuine love over time is sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. It's not all just this high emotion. Because here's what happens. What, what happens when all of that dissipates? And let me tell you something. In the sunshine of real life, the, the foggy mist of emotion dissipates. And we're left with the reality of each other. You know, you get married, and maybe for the first time, you, wake, you, you smell morning breath. And that's like a cup of coffee in the morning, first thing. That'll wake you up. And you thought, what is that? And you open your eyes and there's no makeup and the hair is all over the place. I mean, just get ready, guys, girls, get ready. It's not always pretty, right? Life with the people in your family is not pretty. Trust me. (laughs) When you take on life with somebody else, it's not all sunshine and roses. And so I want to just, you know... There is room for romance, and it is good in its rightful place. But our definition of love is not about romantic inclination. It's not all just about warm, fuzzy emotions. How many times have you been in love? We use that kind of language. I was in love. And uh, I, what we mean by that is I, I felt something for someone. I gave myself for somebody. Because we don't really understand the difference between love and infatuation. In many ways, we could say that infatuation is like love, but they're not the same. Good morning. Hi there. Morning, Esther. Welcome. Come have a seat. So like I said, in many ways, infatuation is like love, but they're not the same. They, they, they can have similar emotions. The one... <coughs> we spoke yesterday about distortions and perversions. Infatuation is a distortion of love because it's based solely on the emotional realm of how I feel about a person. And so the distortion is that that idea of love and emotion is aimed at the other one, but in reality, it's all about me. And that's what infatuation does. This is how I feel about that person. And infatuation, therefore, can be very deceptive It's misleading. It can be artificial. But it's incredibly powerful. And that's the truth of it. It is incredibly powerful. I've come to learn in pastoring that once we have set our emotions upon someone or something, so in other words, I've met this girl and I like her, or... I want that job. Or whatever it may be. It can be a thing. It can be a person. It can be anything. Once I've locked my heart on something, it becomes incredibly difficult, almost impossible, to hear God's word on the matter. Why? Because I am hearing God according to the desires and the idols of my own heart. And I will justify my desires you know that I can make this, this is the Bible here, I can, I can justify anything from this. I want you to know that. I know the word well enough to twist it. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a theolo- theology master, 
But I know enough verses. I mean, if, you, if, if I want something badly enough, I can quickly... This is what we do. I want this, and so I'm going to go to the Bible and find something where God says, I can have it. Right? And so... The problem with infatuation is, okay, I want God to rule my life. I want Him to lead my life. But now I'm giving myself already prematurely to something. And now I'm wanting God to steer me. And it's very, very difficult to do that. The world talks about falling in love, this accidental thing. But the Bible has a different language for it. And it's really useful to understand this. The Bible talks about awakening love. Remember we said this is powerful. And it really, really is. And in its rightful place, it is good. It is beautiful. I want you to understand, I'm not against these emotions. I'm not against the romance. I'm not against, you know, just seeing those two little lovebirds in their engaged state looking into each other's eyes every night. It's beautiful. It is right in its time and in its place. And that timing and placement thing is what I did not understand when I was young. Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, up to that time. God asked him, what do you want, Solomon? He says, God, give me wisdom. And God granted his wish. He's both the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, and the most foolish man because he didn't follow his own wisdom. And we'll look into that a little bit later. But here are some of the things that Solomon says in the book of Song of Solomon. Now, how many of you have read the book of Song of Solomon? Yeah? Go read the book of Song of Solomon. It's a love book. It's, in, it's, 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 it's a romantic book. It's a sensual book. Her locks are like ravens. Her breasts are like the deers of the field. Guys, just, I wouldn't lead with that one, okay? It's out of time and out of place, okay? Just, just one day when it comes your time, draw your inspiration from somewhere else, okay? Just putting it out there. But let's listen to what Solomon says about love. In second, Song of Solomon 2, verse 7, he says, I charge you, O daughters of, the Jeru- of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field. That means it's very serious. I don't know how, but I charge you by the gazelles and by the does. <laughs> Do not stir up or awaken love bef- until it pleases. Okay? Later on, Chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Let me warn you, sisters in Jerusalem, again by the gazelles, yes, by the wild deer. Don't excite love. Don't stir it up until the time is ripe and you are ready. So what Solomon is saying here is, maintain control of your emotions. Self-control. Maintain control of your affections of your infatuations. Don't let them just run wild. Maintain control until you are ready. One more from the same book, chapter 8, verse 4. Promise me, O woman of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. And you have somebody here who carries wisdom and he's begging young people to say, do not give yourself to this until the time is right. And right. Why? Because you will do damage to yourself. You will wreck what could be for what now is. When the time is not right, and if you are not ready, you will give yourselves to things that you are, literally, you think you're ready for, but you are not. The time is not right. It is not the time and the purpose. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So the whole essence here is, do not awaken love before it's time. 
The wise learn what season or time they are in, and they give themselves to it. Now, in the Greek, there's two words for time. The one is chronos, which is like time. We've got it, minutes and seconds and all those things. The other one is kairos. And I think the best English definition of kairos time is to talk about seasons. There are seasons in our lives. And when you know what season you are in, you can give yourself fully to the purpose of that season. So, it is not my season to go out and find a wife. I've done that. It's not my season to go to school. You're in that season. And that's the time of your life that you are giving yourself to now. And as I said last night, and we're going to touch on this in this lesson of, on being single in our next session, know the season that you are in. Why? So that you can give yourself completely to it. Because I want you to realize that whatever season it is you are in, no matter what age you are or what you are going through, there are two things that you are engaged in simultaneously. Number one, you are in a season of preparation. You're in a season of preparation for that which is to come. So if you're studying, you're preparing for your working career. If you're at school, you're preparing for your tertiary education and, and getting certain less life lessons learned. If, you know, wherever you are in life, whether you're single, you're preparing for a relationship. Whether you're in a relationship, you're preparing for the next phase. You're in a phase, if you are smart, you are preparing for the next step. You're not just living for today. But you're also engaged in a season of fulfillment. You're enjoying today and you're eating today the fruit of what you sowed yesterday in your words, in your actions, in your former preparation. And so if you are struggling in life at the moment, what does that tell you? It tells you that you weren't paying attention in your season of preparation. It tells me you missed it back there. Now, that doesn't mean it's too late for you. That doesn't mean it's all gone. That doesn't mean you're washed up and it's over. What it means is take stock and now give yourself to the season that you are in. Maybe there have been relationships and they haven't worked out for whatever the reason may be. Where are you now and what are you going to give yourself to now? What are you preparing yourself for? I want to say to you, it's vitally important to have a good idea and a good understanding of the season you are in. And that doesn't need to be some heavenly ah moment where angels descend and play harps and sing you the song of it. It can be really simple. I mean, Luke, Josh, Ali, Sandili, you guys are in school. Give yourselves to school. Be present. Don't be like me and try and be present in class just so you can see who else is in it. <laughs> Give yourself to your schoolwork because when it comes time and you want to go to university, if you weren't paying attention, you're not going to go to the next phase. It's going to take you longer. You are going to hamstring yourself. Pay attention to what you're supposed to be doing. If you're studying, give yourself to the studies. You see, relationships are a huge distraction. I could be infinitely more productive if I didn't have a wife. And she could be infinitely more productive. In fact, I make her productive, but just not in different, just in a completely different arena. She could be productive in different areas rather than just trying to maintain this. Oh. Forgive me, sorry. So let's have a look at another verse of scripture here. Proverbs, this is Solomon again. He says this, Where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. The Message Bible says it this way, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. 
But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Okay? Most blessed. Where there is no prophetic revelation, in other words, when there is no clear vision, when I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, anything goes. Right? Great example of this. Excuse me. If you want to run the 100 meters in under 10 seconds, that's your vision. That's your, what you want to do. That means you can't eat whatever you want. That means you can't just do whatever you want. You have to train. You have to rock up. You have to spend time in the gym and time on the track. You have to nourish yourself properly. You have to see a sports psychologist to get the thinking just right. There's so many things that have to go into you being able to run the 100 meters in under 10 seconds. But if you have no goal, you can do whatever you want to, right? There are no limitations because you're not committed to anything. You know what commitment is? Commitment is an engagement that limits my freedom of choice. Right? So if I am committed to my wife, I no longer have freedom of choice. I have chosen. I am committed. If I am committed to university, I cannot just go out clubbing every night and forget about my schoolwork. I've got to do this. If I'm committed to school, I've got to give myself to that. Knowing what season you are in prevents you from getting into things prematurely. And in this case, relationships. What does the word premature mean? Well, it's two words. It's a prefix, which is pre, which means before. And mature means when you are whole. Um, when we get into relationships prematurely, it means that we're doing so before the usual or the proper time. Too early. We're not emotionally ready. We're not financially ready. We're not situationally ready, vocationally ready, emotionally ready. When a baby is born prematurely, what does it mean? Generally, it means that they're underdeveloped. They're not fully developed yet. They start in life at a huge disadvantage. Premature means before the right or proper time, before completion, maturity, wholeness, full preparation, or readiness. And the Bible tells us repeatedly not to awaken love prematurely before we are mature and ready to handle it. Now, it doesn't say you must not love. It, it, you, it's not like this rule that's trying to limit joy from us. It's this guiding principle that says when you, if you come into this prematurely, you're going to make a mess of it. But when you are ready, there is absolute joy and absolute blessing in it. And this way of thinking, remember we spoke about countercultures? It is the complete antithesis of the world's way of thinking. The world's way of thinking is to get into things earlier and younger and younger. I mean, you guys are doing, what do you call it, life orientation nowadays? And the stuff that they're discussing in primary schools, in pre-primary schools, is mind-boggling. The world's way of promiscuity is demonstrating or implying an unselective approach. It's indiscriminate and it's casual. Wouldn't you say that? It's just, it's non-selective. It's, it's whatever feels good, however it goes. And it's, I don't really know what you stand for. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what your purpose in life is. I don't know what your values are. But this feels good, and let's just have fun. It's about the pleasure. It's about the joy of the moment. Without any, without any purposeful intent beyond self-satisfaction. So what does this, this different way of thinking, of not awakening love before its time, means? It means we don't mess around and we don't play with other people's emotions. Not just our own, 
but we're also responsible for other people's emotions. You know, the Bible, if we want to just be, make it really clear and simple, what is God's plan for healthy relationships? It means that His plan is that we grow up single. But in relationally, one man for one woman for life. Sex only within the bounds of marriage. That's God's plan. And there's wholeness and security and purity and safety and blessing in that plan. And from that comes family. And that's the bedrock of all society. Look at what the enemy is going after. What are family situations like these days? We spoke about divorce last night. Let's just talk about promiscuity for a moment, right? This idea that how can it be that, you know, how do I know what I want if I haven't played the field? You know, I don't want to end up in a marriage and the sex is bad. I'm going to have to practice, right? These are the ways of thinking. Come on, it's the truth. How do, you know, how do you know if your partner is going to be any good in the sack unless you get in there with them and then, then you can make a call? That's the way we think. There's no purity. There's no guiding values. A few years ago, our former president took the consensual age for sex. If I'm not mistaken now, it's something like 13 years old. 12 years old now. The legal age for consensual sex. So, so our legal age in our country is now 12. Four years later, that same president was making statements about the teenage abortion rate, which had gone through the roof. And he says, these rates are unsustainable. Our, our children are, 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 are getting pregnant far too young, and it, it's, it's ruining their education. It's ruining their lives. It's, it's putting, putting things on them and, and baggage on them. So let me just give you some interesting statistics here, Okay. 2014 to 2016 statistics in South Africa that there were over 48,000 preg teenage pregnancies within that, those two years. That equates to 2,000 teenage pregnancies a month, 66 a day, 2.7 per hour. You break it down as I like to do. Every 21 minutes, someone's falling pregnant. Here's the latest stats. Teenage pregnancies during COVID went up 60%. Teenage young lady is now falling pregnant. By the, in the time that we've been here this morning, three young ladies have fallen pregnant. Not had sex, fallen pregnant. And we know that every time you do it, you don't fall pregnant. So what we're seeing here is in the culture of our, our life today, sex is just something that we add to relationships. It's not something we keep for marriage. There is actually no need for marriage anymore. Why? Because it's now a limiting thing that locks me into one sexual partner. Sex is to be enjoyed. My body, I should be free to express myself and find my... Guys, this is so dangerous. And it's the complete opposite of God's desire for you. As Christians, we are covenantal people. What does it mean to strike up a covenant? It involves long-term commitment to the well-being of another. It is not focused on self and personal pleasure. Pleasure. pleasure but it is focused on a commitment that we have made, remember, first and foremost, to Jesus. That's what last night was all about. You see, all of this is just rules and regulations outside of intimate relationship with God, which says, God, I want to live a life that glorifies you. Not because I have to, but that's my heart's desire. 
To be covenantal means that we treasure and protect both ourselves and others. And this also means that we don't steal what belongs to somebody else. And I'm not just talking about their possessions. I'm talking about emotions, affections, desires. I'm talking about flirtation. I'm talking about me being a married man and yet seeing a young lady at an event or a function and she's nice and I'll say nice things to her and I'll look at her in a certain way and I can entice through, emotion, through her emotions to see, you know, maybe, maybe she feels the same way. Maybe you're playing with what doesn't belong to you. The only thing that belongs to me is my wife and I belong to her. My body is hers and her body is mine. My emotions belong to her and her emotions belong to me. That's called covenant. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonians. For this is the will of God for your life, sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you, listen to this, should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's that whole counterculture and co-culture thing. That we're not going to call ourselves something different but continue living the same way the world does. No, we are going to do something completely different. That we will learn how to have self-control. It's one of the gifts of, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Be able to possess our vessel in purity. He goes on to say that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. So God is not just looking at how you possess your life. He is looking at that which you cause to come alive and awaken in somebody else. When it says do not awaken love before it's time, he's not just talking about you. He's talking about those around you as well. For the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects us does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. How many firsts have you had? First hug. First kiss. How many firsts have you had? How many firsts should you save for that one person? Wouldn't that be amazing? If fiance, if two people stand at the altar and that'll be their first kiss. Let me ask you another question because this is really interesting. You never think about this. What is the significance of somebody like me who is a marriage officer standing in front of a group of people and a couple who've just said vows, they've made covenant commitment to each other and I now affirm that by saying you may now kiss the bride. What does that say about every other kiss that may have come before? Do you ever think about that? That was illicit. That was not permitted. Why? Because it was taking place outside of covenant. Michael, you are being prudish now. You are taking this way too far. Question is, am I? And for me, this is not about drawing lines. This is about asking the question. That is a significant part of the marriage covenant, right? Where we say, right, you may now... This person and their body and their emotion now belongs to you, and your body and your emotions wholeheartedly belong to you. Now you are allowed to become one flesh. Now you are allowed to do and give yourselves to that which invokes erotic love. 
Let me ask you this. What if you've already crossed the line? What if you've already given away your first this and your first that? What if you actually have no firsts left? What does that mean? Are you now damaged goods? Are you now rubbish? I remember when I was in youth, there was a lady who came to talk to us and she gave us each a rose. And you give a kiss to this one and you take a petal and you give this to this one. And, you, and she broke this rose down. And it was like a powerful analogy, but by the end you come to marriage and all you've got left is a little stamen and there's no more petals left and that rose isn't very pretty anymore. Are, you all, are we now all completely damaged goods? There's scars. There's baggage. There's consequences to these things. I'm not going to lie, there are. But I also want to say to you, there can be healing and complete restoration through Jesus. There really can. Where we acknowledge and we say, hey, I've been going about it the world's way. I've given myself to things prematurely outside of their right time. I haven't waited for the right context for this to be blessed. And so I've engaged in things outside of the blessing of God, which I was designed to function in. God, would you forgive me? There is forgiveness. There is sweeping away of that. As long as there is fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, I'm not still giving myself to that the whole time, thinking that it's not going to have any effect on me. This is why this is called a call. This is why I'm calling you to undistracted devotion to say, all right, I, we can deal with that. We can, it's happened. But I can begin living my life from this moment in a way that brings honor and glory to God and keeping focus on what I should be and keeping things in their rightful place so that the, I may now, from this day forward, walk within the ambit of God's blessing and His grace. There is both forgiveness and healing in Christ, but changes will be necessary. It's important to understand that what I'm talking to you about here today is not about what's easy. What's easy is just to give ourselves over to our emotions, right? It's just to do what feels good. But what we are talking about is lives worthy of God worthy of that testimony. You see, you and I are ambassadors to this world to represent Him and His selfless love. And that means we don't defraud one another of our, of our firsts. We don't entice other people into things that could rob them. Well, let me put it to you this way. Danielle. Your future husband is going out tonight on a date. How would you like that girl to treat him? Like a king. Like, a king. <laughs> <laughs> like dirt so that he leaves her and comes to me. <laughs> I would prefer to not be like super damaged, you know. Super, you'd prefer for him not to be super damaged, right? <laughs> a few scratches. He might need a bit of a buff here or there. I mean, like, Liam, your future wife is going out on a date with somebody tonight. How would you like him to treat her? You know, how would you, how, what would you like him to, to do with her and what would you like him to not do with her? Right? Does that make sense? Just thinking about it in that way. Why? Because if I take somebody out and this person, though I may be interested in them and they may be interested in me, they are not my wife. No commitment has been made between us. No covenant has been struck between us. I have no right to take that which may belong to somebody else. God says He will avenge that. God does not take kindly to that. 
We treat people with respect. God places everything under cover. You know, your, your mother's precious pearls or her precious wedding ring that's been handed down from generation to generation, it carries immense value. It's precious in and of itself, but there's sentimental value too. That is not left just out on a mantelpiece for everyone to see. It's put away in a safe. It is locked up. It is protected. And it's brought out at an appointed time for, for a certain event, for a specific moment, or to be handed down, or to be, but it is protected and its keen eye is kept on it. God guards your life that way. He's watching you. Not because he's waiting to slap you on the hand. Ah, no, you can't do that. He's watching you because you are precious to him. And he does not want you to give yourself away as some cheap thing. He paid for you with his life. And he does not want you to take that which belongs to another person. And so that kind of brings the question of, well, then how far should I go? How far can I go? I mean, what is acceptable? Danielle's like, a little bit of damage, maybe, you know, a few, few scratches. Is, is first base okay? I mean, do you guys still work in bases? When I was a kid, there was first base, second oh, base. Yeah, what's, what, what's you, don't, you don't know what base is? I'm not even going to describe them to you. It's about half. We know what it is. We don't know if it's chain camera. Oh, I see. You know what it is? We don't know which one represents what. Okay, we're not going to get into defining them. But the whole idea is, you know, how far can I go before it's too far? And so we kind of have this line here, right? And we say, this side is sin, and this side is okay. We're not even going to call it blessing. We're just going to say okay, right? And, and is it okay to sort, of, to sort of hold hands? And the answer to you is, it depends. Is it okay to, to kiss? Just a little peck. Is that okay? On the cheek, on the lips. Is it okay to kiss, kiss, like kiss, kiss? How far can I go? You know, if it's, if it's, over, if it's on, if it's above the, listen, I'm talking real life stuff here, guys. You're laughing because this is truth. This is how we think and how we feel. In the heat of the moment. What did you say? It is awkward. In the heat of the moment, is it okay to touch over the clothes? A little bit of groping, is that all right? I mean, we're not going under anything. We're not really touching. Isn't it anything that kind of... Um, yes, causes arousal. Causes, yeah, Good I mean, point. You know, and also, each person has got different trauma and different things that they are dealing with. So you mustn't be a stumbling block for someone else. So, them to... so these are good points, right? But it's a minefield. Okay, because here's my experience, and don't judge me, because I know it's the same with you. We want to get as close to this line as we can without crossing it, right? How many times do we succeed? How many times do you get on a tightrope the first time and not fall? We try and walk this tightrope, and listen, it's lacquer, hey? <laughs> Feels lacquer. That's why it's so enticing. If it wasn't lacquer, we wouldn't be wanting to do it, okay? And I want to suggest to you today, because I've tried to walk this tightrope, and I've, God, like I said to you, I'm amazed at the fact of how God spared me in some ways. But in other ways, look, I might as well have. Okay? I might as well have. Because I wanted to dance that line, and listen, I kept falling over it. And I want to say to you, something changed in my heart and life when I read that scripture I read to you guys last night about 
it speaks about a man and it speaks about a version. For some reason, God used the female to speak to me. Maybe I just didn't read far enough. The men came afterwards. He talks about the virgin is not concerned about the cares of this world or about it. Her concern is simply to please the Lord. And here's what changed for me. I went from trying to live a life that was trying to dance this line and how far can I get to it to understanding the only way I can, I can do this successfully is to stay away from it as far as I can. And to reorientate my life instead of trying to get something that my flesh wanted to say, that's not okay. I know I'm going to cross the line. I've proven it to myself. No, I'm not going to cross the line. I crossed the line. Okay, next time I'm not going to. I did. And I will and I keep will and it's just the nature of the beast. So this, the, the, the winning formula is simply forget about that. Pursue something else. Give yourself to the pursuit of God. Give yourself to the pursuit of righteousness. For me, here's, here's, here's what I can, can I tell you what that looked like for me when that revelation came. Monday night, I was in Bible school. Tuesday night, worship team practice. Wednesday night, home group. Thursday night, Bible school. Sunday morning, church. Sunday evening, prayer meeting. I threw my life. You see, I was still single. I didn't have anybody else to think, think about. I threw my life into serving in this place, to giving myself to the Lord. Lord, how can I then serve? I don't want to be given to all of these other things. So I did my job, and I went to church. <laughs> I did my job, and I read my Bible. And I did my job, and I gave my... And I want to tell you, within the space of three or four months, there was such a transformation internally that my desires, my affections, my passions were virtually unrecognizable from what they were before. Because I, instead of trying to still just live this, this life according to the status quo values, I threw myself into the Lord's hands. I said, I'm just going to pursue you. I'm going to forget about girls now. Probably for the first time in my life. Listen, I was the guy who was, I, mean, I started young. I was the guy who was caught playing doctor, doctor behind the puppet box in preschool. That was me. I was that kid you were, you were scared that your kids are going to be at school with. I was that kid. And it was innocent at the time. Why? Because I was a kid. I didn't know any better. But something, somehow, somewhere was awakened in me at a very, very early age. And to break free from that was the greatest battle of my spiritual journey and my Christian life. So when I say these things to you, you can call me a hypocrite and you'd be right. I didn't walk that out. But there did come a time in my life when I had certain revelations and realizations, and these are the things I'm trying to teach you. Those realizations set me free from pursuits that kept me locked in bondage and ways of thinking and doing things that were damaging, not just to me, but to other people as well. So we're talking about living life with purpose, and we're nearly done with this session, and then we're going to have a tea break, a coffee break. You guys all okay? You still with me? I haven't said too much, divulged too much. My poor niece and nephew, they are shocked. They are drawn. <laughs> so when someone comes to me and they say that they want to start a relationship, the first question I ask is, what is your intention? Now here, let me, let me preface this with just another. It so, very often happens that people, as their pastor, they don't come to me and say, I want to start a relationship. They don't want their parents to know. They don't want their siblings to know. They don't want anybody else to know. Why? Because for some reason, they know that this is not right. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Either I'm a Christian and they're not a Christian, I know what my pastor's going to say. 
based on my parents' values, I know what they are going to say. They're not, I'm not going to be walking in their approval, right? And so what I do is I, I hide it away. You see, anything that you feel you need to hide is something that is laced with and covered with shame. And do not think that shame will not come upon you. You can't play with it. It will come out. And the shame, if, even if nobody else knows, it's that secret that you now need to keep for the rest of your life. And you're embarrassed about it and you're ashamed of it. Why would you choose to walk in shame? So when someone comes to me and they say they want to enter a relationship, here's the question I ask. What is your intention? And the question I would ask then is this, is this the one you want to marry? And normally they'd be like, oh, marry? Whoa, we like just met. We, know, we don't know each other. I don't, want, I, don't know, I don't know yet if I want to marry this person. To which the next question is, so then what are you doing? You're playing. You're playing with emotions. You're playing with affections. You are giving yourself over to something and you are awakening something that you're not even sure you're ready for because unless you know that this is the one you want to marry, you're not ready. Why would you be giving yourself to it and why would you be enticing them to give themselves to something that you're not even sure where this is going? Michael, isn't that extreme? I ask you, is it? What's the alternative? I'm just giving myself to something to see where it goes. It's like a random thing. I'm not sure this is or isn't the one. Let me ask you this question. Do you know what God has called you to do with your life? And if you don't know what God has called you to do with your life, how would you recognize the helper he sends you? I'm called into to do this for the Lord. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. What do you want to do? I have no idea what I want to do. So how are you going to help me? And how am I going to help you do what you want to do? You're not ready. You're not ready for a relationship. You're not ready for, to give yourself to something. Wait. There's no harm in that. Why are you in a hurry? And then there's the classic one. Are they a Christian? No, but he's a good guy. Just my face, I can't help it. <laughs> but you know, if, 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 but surely God loves him, and if I pray for him and I walk with him, he'll, con I'll, he'll get converted, right? That's what we think. Here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth, first of all. Let me first give you the experiential truth. <laughs> it does not happen. It does not work. And here's what I've seen time and time and time again. And I've seen it play itself out time and time again. And this is no jokes. I have yet to see an exception. Okay, 20 years almost in ministry, I've yet to see an exception. Guy meets girl. Generally, it's girl is a Christian, guy is not. But often, it's guy says he's a believer, girl is not. Generally, it's the other way around, because girl wants knight in shining armor. Knight in shining armor comes. He's not really interested in God. Maybe he'll call himself a Christian. He certainly hardly goes to church. But because he wants girl, he will come with her to church. He will say nice things in front of the pastor. He will say nice things in front of a girl. He will put on Christian commitment. And maybe there will be a measure of sincerity and he will even try for a while. But because he had no sincere pursuit of God or Christian commitment before her, everything happened for her and in the context of her, very soon that fizzles out. Five to ten years, that marriage has collapsed. Why? Because guy is not really, he doesn't need to pursue Jesus to get her anymore. He's got her now. That was all a ruse, and it falls apart. Either he carries on, goes back to his life, wants nothing to do with God, 
lady comes week in, week out, all by herself, without husband, to church. Or, husband just has enough of the pressure and decides, nah. 99% of the time. Let's look at what the Bible says about it. Again, this is, this, is, this is what God says to King Solomon, right? That wise guy we spoke about, 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. He gave himself over to the love of many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them. Why? Because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Hang on, you are the almighty God, you are the true God, those are all fake, they're not real, they're all idols, it's all a load of nonsense, you are the real deal who performs miracles among us, your presence is there in the temple, you are the real deal, but you're worried about them? God says, they will turn your hearts away. Not they might, they will. The wisest man in history thought he knew better, and he fell and he began building altars to their gods, and he began appeasing them, because that's how it starts. Okay, you, I'll, well, I'll worship my God, you worship. I do me, you do you. And it all ended in, in tears. You see, because what love, sincere love wants to do is it wants to please the other, and that will lead you to compromise. Trust me that if you and your partner are not, do not have the same value of pursuing God with all your heart, you will compromise your intimacy and your relationship with God for the sake of this relationship. Do not be fooled. Do not think it will be different with you. It, it, it's just how it works. So if you want to meet somebody and you want to, okay, this is the one, and yes, I think this might be the one that I want to marry. What is their level of spiritual maturity? The Bible talks about not being unequally yoked, right? And we always think that means non-Christian with a Christian. But what is a yoke? You know what a yoke is? Uh, yes, that's the thing. It's the thing that the animals wore. You would put two oxen next to each other, right? And there was a, 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 a wooden beam that connected them as they were pulling, whether it was the plow or whatever it was. And that is a yoke that they would wear together. And if one is moving faster than the other, everything goes skew. A yoke requires two people or two animals of, of pretty much the same size pulling together at the same place, at the same pace. So the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. He's saying... You're a believer of 20 years. Do not think that the immaturity of this person who, who has no fruit of a relationship with God, no matter what they say, they are in the co-culture group. They call themselves a Christian, but they live, work, think, and do everything the same way the world does. And you think, but because they, call, they once said a prayer that, that this is okay. You're kidding yourself. You are forfeiting the plans and purposes that God has on your life and the blessings that He intends for you both now and into eternity. Another question I'll ask. So this young person you want to marry, you're thinking of going out with, who are they submitted to? Because if they're just rogue, if they're not submitted to anybody, who's their authority figure? What's their relationship like with their parents? Who's their pastor? And what's their relationship with their pastor like? No, no, no. They, they know who their pastor is, but they, they're not connected. They're not submitted to anybody. Why? Because they, then they can do whatever they want and they're not accountable to anybody. It's dangerous. Dangerous stuff. You see, until you are whole and single, you have no business pursuing relationship. That's a little bit of an arrogant statement, don't you think? Yeah, perhaps it is. But I want to say to you, 
you're only shortchanging yourself. And I'm going to talk a little bit about dating and courtship, but I'm worried that I've already gone on for a long time. Where are we? It hasn't even been half an hour. Are you guys still okay? Can I take another 10, 15 minutes or you want a break? I don't mind either way. Okay, let's have a quick break.